0: Good morning, everyone. A very warm welcome to you, especially if you are joining us as a guest, as a visitor for the first time. It's wonderful to have you with us. What you might not know, that most of the rest of us do, is we're in a series on uh, the subject of prophecy, Sunday by Sunday. Uh, we weren't here to together last week. Love Oxford happened last week. Uh, churches from across the city together. For a couple of weeks before that, uh, I kicked off... Is the PowerPoint going st- to start at some point, won't it? Yeah, Great. Uh, I kicked off a series, there we go, on prophecy, and uh, just outlined the big picture of prophecy, which is that it's first of all about seeing something which we couldn't have worked out, which God has given to us as a revelation. It's first of all about seeing something, then about speaking what we've seen. We can speak all kinds of truth without having to have some special revelation, and that might make us a great teacher or evangelist, those are good things, but the prophet has seen something that they then speak. If you don't speak it, you might be a wonderful mystic and know many things, Uh, but a prophet both sees and speaks. And then the word that's spoken, being God's word, has supernatural power. It brings life. It changes things. It releases healing and deliverance and many, many other good things. The following week, there were a number of people who spoke about, well, okay then, but how do we hear God's voice? We dug a bit deeper into that thing of whether you want to use the word seeing or hearing, but how do we get something from God? What's that like? Now, this morning, where we've got to is again about speaking, and in particular, prophecy in the church. So if you've got a Bible with you, please do turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, which is the one place in the Bible that gives us the most concentrated guidance on how prophecy works amongst God's people today. Whilst you're turning there, let me wave a couple of books at you. I recommended these the first Sunday one we're kicking off. Uh, This book by Jack Deer, surprised by the voice of God, a theologian who didn't used to believe that God spoke today was surprised to discover that he does. And if you've got theological questions, biblical questions about prophecy, the ministry of prophecy, the spiritual gift that it is, how does that work? I suggest you might pick this book up. It's been around for years. I still not come across anything better at explaining the fact that God does speak. It's a biblically based ministry and something that we want Uh, also going to wave this book at you it's called naturally supernatural written by one of the leading uh prophets in our network of churches internationally a guy called buck hudson or when he's writing books david r hudson and uh you can't get this on amazon but we do have quite a lot of copies here in the king center so if you just send a note uh, into the church office we can sort you out does anyone know how much they cost Looking around, I'm sure they're really reasonable, and you definitely want one for whatever the price is. Oh wow, where'd you get a book for three fifty these days? There we go, brilliant. Okay, not certain. Well, fine. Ruth will pay the difference, so that's okay. All right. So this morning we're looking at some of the practicalities of prophecy amongst God's people. I'm just going to read a little bit from one Corinthians chapter fourteen. I'm not going to read the whole chapter. I'm going to skip the long bit about the difference between prophecy and speaking in tongues. Um, I am going to read the bit about women being silent. Um, and I, <laughs> it, not because I really want to talk about that this morning, but because it's right in the midst of some other bits that we must look at. So there we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 says this, Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue, it's a, another language that's given supernaturally other than the ones that we've learned. Anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. But everyone Who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. He who prophesies is greater than one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets, so that the church may be edified. Now I'm going to jump down to verse 24, where it says, If an unbeliever, or someone who doesn't understand, comes in while everybody is prophesying, he will be convinced by all that he is a sinner and will be judged by all, and the secrets of his heart will be laid bare. So he'll fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. What then shall we say, brothers? When you come together, everyone has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation, and all of this must be done for the strengthening of the church. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two, or at the most three, should speak one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there's no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and God. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what's said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn, so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophets. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. As in all the congregations of the saints, women should remain silent in the churches. They're not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it's disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Did the word of God originate with you? Are you the only people it's reached? If anybody thinks he's a prophet or spiritually gifted, then let him acknowledge that what I'm writing to you is the Lord's command. If he ignores this, he will himself be ignored. Therefore, my brothers, be eager to prophesy. Don't forbid speaking in tongues. Everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. So just to say about the thing of women being silent, because that's not even been our practice this morning. So just to explain, just a couple of chapters earlier, in chapter 11, verse 5, Paul writes about what women, how women should act when prophesying. And uh, therefore, we have the task of asking, how do the different commands and instructions of Scripture fit together? we have a question to ask of which commands are to be followed exactly as they are, as they were in that time exactly so today, which reflect principles that we need to work out their application today. And uh, not actually because it's awkward, what it says here in 1 Corinthians 14, although it is somewhat awkward in the society in which we live, And uh, we have all kinds of feelings about what these verses say about uh, different roles in the church. But actually, because of what Paul has said a few chapters before, it cannot mean that this is an enduring command for all of the churches for all time, that women should simply be silent. So I, I could obviously spend all morning talking about that, but won't. Because we are in a series on prophecy and uh, we're going to look first of all about the purpose for which prophecy is given. There are these three words in verse three. 1 Corinthians 14 and verse three. Everyone who prophesies speaks for strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. So there's, there's the first thing that when we receive a prophetic word, it brings us strength. When we've heard it and received it, it leaves us bigger than we were before. We're not diminished or cut down, but left bigger than we were before. As I share about prophecy this morning, I'm going to tell you a few things that I've experienced prophetically uh, both people giving things to me and, and maybe one or two things that I've shared with others just to try and help make sure things land and communicate some of the feeling that goes along with that the first time anybody ever shared a picture that the Lord had given to them prophetically for me I was uh, I was about 18 and the picture that they had was of a Lion King. And they said, I see you as a Lion King in the future speaking to lots of people. And I was encouraged and strengthened. I I knew something of what God was calling me to do particularly, but this word, which came from someone who didn't know me well, left me feeling and really, in faith, bigger than I was before. I was made strong by a word that came from God. And many of you will have experienced the strength that comes when a prophetic word is shared with you. Here's another thing. Uh, Encouragement. The uh, word that's translated encouragement here is like the word uh, paraclete, which Jesus uses to describe the Holy Spirit as another one who would come, and that word means coming alongside, just as the Holy Spirit would come alongside us and therefore do us good, then in the same way the word of God spoken to us prophetically brings God close to us. The prophetic word leaves us with an awareness of God's closeness to us. However big the space and however lonely we may have felt, God's word comes as an encouragement. God's close. He cares. He's with us. He's supporting us. I remember nearly five years ago now, we were in a series annually of hosting national student conferences here. Some of you will remember when the Fusion guys nationally came here. And this hall was filled with university students on a Sunday morning as they'd been here for their their weekend conference. I remember sitting near the back over there, and I'd been leading this church for perhaps a year or so, maybe a little bit longer, and I was grappling with something that I felt was an impossible conundrum, which was that I ended up with a a leading role amongst a, a group of God's people who had two differing visions and I could not see for the life of me how that could possibly work and it was in this respect that this church has always had a call to send people to be a blessing elsewhere especially to other nations and that's right so we have but also we had a call to grow in making more of an impact locally as well and uh, when you stop and think about that, that really seems like a choice between two options. Are we going to invest in sending, or are we going to invest in what we have locally? And even though someone has coined the word glocal to try and solve that problem, that doesn't quite do it for me. And I remember being here, I was in a season of, saying, God, I don't know how we can do this, because surely if we send away all our best, we're going to struggle to grow locally. And if we focus on growing locally, I mean, how can that work? Now, there's a guy here at that conference called Alastair Bullen, who's one of, I think is the chairman or something of Fusion and he just began to prophesy about us as a church. He said a number of things. One was that we should plant in Kidlington plant a church in Kidlington, which we were just beginning to do, so that was very encouraging. But he also said, "And I see this church 's got this, these these other two things you 're going to send people to the nations and you 're going to grow and see people born again here locally he didn 't know I was grappling with that. I burst into t- I remember distinctly being at the back there bursting into tears, a moment in which God showed himself to me, came close, and I was encouraged. The prophetic word brings encouragement, and it says here, it brings comfort. The word that's used here for comfort is the same word that's used when the Jews, it says in John's gospel, went to visit Mary and Martha, after Lazarus' death, to comfort them in their loss. In 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 11 and 12, Paul writes, you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his children, encouraging, comforting. And the prophetic word has that quality to it as well, that when we are in distress, when we're in pain, the word of God brings us comfort. Prophecy is God the Father's word to us, speaking to us for our good. And of course, as we looked at it a few weeks ago, these words release God's supernatural power to us. I've been enjoying listening to a few talks online that were recommended to me. A guy that leads a church in Bedford, actually, as it happens, leads the King's Arms in Bedford, a guy called Simon Holly. I've been listening to some talks that he was doing at a friend's church in Southampton, telling the story of some things that God's doing amongst them. It was great having biscuits up here this morning, and um, it just did remind me there's there's a stage of life which they're largely at where you feel about as awkward as you ever do. And so for them to come up and sing in front of us was just brilliant. Uh, it's really brilliant. This guy Simon was talking about some girls in his church aged 13, 14. And as they were seeking the Lord together in, as, a, as a fellowship, the Holy Spirit touched these girls and they, they were poleaxed, you know, fell over, overcome by the power of God. And you think, well, what's all that about? Well, the next morning, when they went to school, they said to their teacher, Would it be all right if we had 10 minutes? of the lesson to tell everybody what God's doing in our church. Well, I think that is a sign of the Holy Spirit at work to begin with. The teacher said yes. What they said was so engaging that they ended up getting the whole lesson <laughs> given to them as their friends asked them question after question. In the break time that followed, this is in Bedford, in the break time that followed uh, one of their friends who was skeptical came up to them and said, yeah, yeah. All right, so if God's like alive and speaks and that, then he knows what's in my lunchbox, doesn't he? So the girl said, yeah. I said, well, you, you, your God should tell you what's in my lunchbox. So these girls went around the corner to get a bit of space, prayed, God, tell us what's in their lunchbox. And they came back and they said, there's this and there's that and there's t- There's a cucumber, and there's a carrot, and open the box, it's all right. (laughs) Ha! God is alive, and his word does us good. In a couple of weeks' time, uh, Steve Begui, who leads our church in in Bister, but who's going to be taking on the role as principal of the King's School in Whitney uh, in the autumn, is going to come and speak to us about prophecy in the world, because actually he does it a lot. He's always sharing God's word with people uh, you know, in, a, when, in his, the badminton club that he plays at or in the street or whatever. And we've got a lot to learn about all of that. So prophecy is good. It's given to us for our good. Uh, what have we got next? Oh, yeah. Okay. So here in 1 Corinthians 14, there are various things that it says to us about giving the word that we've got. How do we give the word that we've got. I don't know if you noticed, but there's a bit of a tension in this chapter. I mean, let alone the thing about chapter 11 and chapter 14. There are a few things in this chapter. You think, well, how do they fit together then? Because it says in verse 24, someone comes in, an unbeliever comes in, and you're all prophesying. I don't know if you noticed that. Everyone's at it all at the same time. You're all prophesying. And it says in verse 26 that when you come together, everyone's got something. All can prophesy, and uh, it seems to me, according to this, if you, if, you, if you haven't got a prophecy to bring, then you probably need a tongue or a hymn when you come to a church gathering. So I mean, everybody has something and the scriptures say that all can prophesy. And since Paul has said in this chapter that prophecy is better than tongues anyway, I don't know where hymns sit on the pecking order. Probably depends how well you can sing as much as anything. So that, but there's this free flow of like, everybody's got something. And then Paul goes on to say, right then, so just two or three. And if one of you is talking, you can't just go on because someone else has to have their turn. If someone else comes up with something, you better stop going on and let somebody else speak because there's all... So how does that work? Within a few verses, Paul has gone from this seemingly kind of spontaneous, I don't want to say chaos because God's in charge of it, but I mean, who knows what's going on? It's all kicking off. The power of God's there because people are walking in and falling over. Oh, God's here. And then there's this careful two or three how do we make sense of that? Well, actually, it seems like a contradiction, but isn't that God's way with all of his creation? Uh, Life bursts forth, but it always has structure. Without structure, there is no life, in fact. Life is the most highly structured thing on our planet, And in the scriptures, we read of wine, new wine, and wineskins. In fact, we sometimes look at that thing of wine, and the wineskin bursts, and those that love the spontaneous go, yay, no wineskin. But actually, what Jesus says is, you need a new wineskin for new wine. If there's going to be new wine, you need a new wineskin. You need a structure that is suitable for what God's doing. Uh, It's not a... Picture explicitly in the scriptures, but I find it very helpful to think of the vine and the trellis. When Jesus spoke about the vine in John 15, all the people that were listening would have known about the the trellises that were used to support the vines amongst all different plants. There's both the organic growing thing and the structure that helps it. And we're not forced to make a choice between those two things but rather they work together. The spontaneous and the planned work in synergy, not in competition. So we plan to give room for the spontaneous. And the spontaneous individual submits to the structure of the corporate. And it works together. So this is, I had five top tips about giving prophecy. Here's the first one. Understand the anatomy of prophecy. Understand the anatomy of prophecy. What do I mean by that? Well, the prophetic comes, the revelation that comes, comes in several different phases. Uh, There's the revelation the seeing of something that God has opened up, then there's a further stage of interpretation. So, well, there's the picture, but what does it mean? There's a stage of interpreting it. And then beyond the, what does it mean? There's another step, which is, and what do we do with that then? Now, the New Testament doesn't lay this anatomy out for us in a kind of clear way. And different books that you read about prophecy will explain things in different terms and might say there's there's four different steps or something. It's kind of not the point. It's just to help us understand that there is quite a process that goes on. One of the the places in Scripture where we see it very clearly is in Pharaoh's dreams about the famine that was coming. We know that it's about a season of seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. He didn't know. That was the whole point. He had these dreams about cows eating each other, and he's like, whatever. I mean, what is that about? He didn't know. He had the revelation from God. God had shown him something that really mattered. He didn't have a clue what it meant. And it took another spiritual gift, which Joseph had, to say, well, what that means is there's going to be seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. That's what it means. That's great, but it, by itself, still doesn't tell you what to do. There was a further gift of wisdom that Joseph had that said, right then, (laughs) okay, so build barns, storehouses, good administration is the way forward. It's helpful to understand the anatomy of prophecy, to have a bit of a framework of understanding of what is it that we've got from God. Sometimes what we will have, like Pharaoh, is simply the revelation, whether it comes as a dream or a picture or a word or a scripture brought back to mind. And we think, well, I know that's from God. I really don't know what to do with it. And so one of the things to understand is that's okay. Pharaoh sent messages far and wide on the basis of simply having a picture he didn't have a clue what it meant. And that's worth something. That's valuable. I think sometimes we can hold back from sharing things that God has genuinely given us because we want to be able to articulate the whole thing and preach a little sermon in effect. God says it means do this. It's lovely to be able to do that. But sometimes we don't have that because... An understanding of what the revelation means is itself illuminated by the Holy Spirit. It's a further gift from God. I don't know whether you ever experienced that. you praying, worshiping, some picture comes to mind and you think, well, I think that might have been God. I haven't got a clue what it means. And often as not, the gift that God is given is put on the shelf at that point. So God's given me a picture, I don't know what it means, end of end of process. When in fact, what we can do is say, thank you God for the picture. Now, in as much as you were sovereignly active in giving me the, the, the revelation, I need just as much help to have a clue what you're talking about. And again, to know what it might mean. So I, th- I hope that's helpful, just in terms of understanding something of what goes on when God speaks. And it's okay to share simply the revelation or the revelation with an interpretation or even something of, and God says, this is what we need to do with it. If someone else steps forward with simply a revelation, I hope it pricks up our ears to say, thank you, God, but what else do you have to say about that? And that's partly what goes on in our meetings together. Different people get different bits, and it builds as we together, because God delights to move through his body, not just through one person. Secondly, if in doubt, speak it out. You know, we're a lovely bunch of people, and we won't stone you, For saying something that's wrong. And again, there's so much that God gives which gets held up at the point of doubt. Not entirely sure whether God's spoken, so we'll just leave it. I was most helped in this years ago by a chap called Ken McGreevey. Anyone remember hearing him? Uh, He's a someone the Lord raised up with a prophetic gift that was used widely across many churches. I remember going to a seminar that he did on prophecy, and I'd just seen him deliver some prophetic words that were like, wow, you hear God with such clarity. That's amazing. And he said, this is the way that it worked for him, that it was like the path in the parable of the sower, that as soon as God spoke a word to him, it was like a bird came along and tried to snatch the seed straight away. And the bird was a bird of doubt. So he saw this pattern that he'd get a word from God and immediately, bang, a doubt would come. Because he understood that there's an enemy who was trying to take it away before it could do any good at all. So much so that he began to see that the strength and violence of the doubt was a good indication of how much the original word was from the Lord. Go figure that. Which doesn't really answer all of our questions, but it should at least teach us to doubt our doubts. And if we're going to wait until all our doubts have gone, then we'll be waiting forever. So don't wait for doubt to end if in doubt you think you might have something from God, still do speak it. Thirdly, being clear is more important than being comprehensive. Uh, most prophetic words are a bit like parables in which they mean just one or two things. And Jesus tells a parable, and there's a couple of points to be made from it. There's not 15 points in a parable. There's just a couple um, You know, the the food that the prodigal son is trying to eat almost certainly doesn't represent anything. Uh, It's a story about the love of the father. And sometimes when, especially for those of you, because this is not me, for those of you who are wired to think more visually, and when God gives you something, you can see it in technicolour and all the details, I just can't, so this isn't my challenge, but I know some of you do. Uh, I think there's a temptation that you have to try and see significance in everything, and for the sake of faithfulness to the revelation, tell us about it all. And we just glaze over. Sorry. We get lost after about the fourth detail, and it's great that God speaks to you in such a vivid way and gives you that revelation, but it's more important for the purpose of the word to be clear than to tell us absolutely everything that is in it. Thirdly, or no, fourthly rather, understand the meeting. And in particular, the different size of gatherings that we have. If it's a small group, then almost certainly it's going to be something of a free-for-all Small meetings are generally a good format for prophesying. Obviously, if there's only three of you, then the two or three can prophesy. It means you can all have a go there and then. But as soon as you hit four people, there's at least a question over whether everyone's going to get to prophesy in that context. And it's something that we wrestle with in a group this size, let alone when we sometimes are in much larger gatherings, how do we work that and to be honest we don't have it sorted we tend to operate a system where you come and talk to whoever's leading the meeting which is this morning Keith and so there's room for things to come forward spontaneously but also a place where they come together just occasionally people just burst through that and ignore um, Keith um, Graham and Helen, who've gone out to the kids' work, so I won't embarrass them, actually, within the leadership team, we've given them special permission to just burst out whenever. Because there are some people for whom it's a very spontaneous thing when God gives you a word, and um, their experience is that by the time they've come and shared it with someone, the moment's gone. And if you're someone for whom the way that we are operating things with the meeting leader... Just, it just, it, the truth is, the way that we work has been quenching your spiritual gift. <laughs> Please come and talk to us about it, because it's not our desire to do that. We're just trying to find ways of working that allow for the life of the Spirit, whilst also not having complete disorder. Lastly, the hardest thing is timing. Timing. For all of us, the thing that we're most likely to get wrong is timing. I had a dream in the week. I woke up on Tuesday morning um, having had a very vivid dream, which I I really don't do very often. I could tell what it was about. It was about um, someone who had a concern for raising up a new generation and frustrations in that and something that had to come together in that and some personal hurt that had got in the way and they got stuck. And there was quite a bit in it, and it was unusual for me. Um, I immediately thought of one person that I thought it might apply to, and I could email them. Anyway, that evening, uh, along with some others, um, Andy being one of them, I sat in Stephen Lorraine Thomas's house doing their biannual uh, accountability thing where we they talked to a number of people about what they're doing with their lives. And I ended up sharing it there, thinking... This might well be a word for Stephen Lorraine, but I'm still not. But I shared it in that spirit of if in. I said, if in doubt, speak it out, give it out, and said, I know God's spoken this to me today. I'm not sure that this is quite the right. I'm not sure it's for you. I'm not sure that the timing is for this evening. Um, but better to share it than to let it go. <laughs> But that aspect of timing is often the hardest thing. And part of it is to do is that when you get a revelation from God, there's such a kind of yes about it when it lands with you. Um, that it's actually very hard to be objective about, about when to share it. And it's just helpful for us to be humble about that. And hopefully, the role of a meeting leader that we have Sunday by Sunday helps with that particularly Their job is to have a sense of the flow of the meeting and what's happening when, and they can help with that. I need to move on. There's some tips about sharing prophecy in our meetings. Next thing, then, is about weighing the word. Verse 29, others should weigh carefully. And the word here literally means judge. Should judge what's been said. A prophetic word Uh, has its substance verified by being weighed. We really shouldn't start responding to it and changing our lives until it's been through a process of being weighed. That has to happen. Here are five questions to ask as we do that. Firstly, does it strengthen, encourage, or comfort? We've already read the verse that says, that's what prophetic words do. If it doesn't do that... If the word actually leaves you feeling distressed, it's probably not from God. Um, Bev and I were with some family members uh, at Easter, helping them clear their garden. And we had this huge bonfire. I mean, there was all this, it's the biggest bonfire I've ever been involved with. It was great fun. But as part of it, at a certain point, these family members took a piece of paper that Ten years ago, a prophetic word had been written down on that God had given. But for ten or so years, that word had given them nothing but distress. And so eventually, after taking more counsel, um, they took the opportunity of the bonfire to burn it. And say, we have finally concluded that this was not a word from the Lord for us. It encouraged us to hope for something which... It's become clear God isn't giving. And actually, it's not prompted faith. It's prompted distress. So if it doesn't strengthen, encourage, or comfort, there's reason to let go of it. See, some people here probably need to let go of some things today, I'm guessing. Secondly, does it fit with the existing revelation of Scripture? I'm going to move at a pace through these things, so I'll just give you the reference. Deuteronomy 13 verses 1 to 3, says that when a prophet speaks, that what they say should be judged according to existing revelation that's been given. And for us, that's obviously the Bible, the Scriptures. If it's not in keeping with the Scriptures, it's a wrong And let's be clear about that. Thirdly, does the prophecy glorify Jesus? 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 3 says... No one who is speaking by the Spirit of God can say, Jesus, be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. So if a word serves to big up Jesus, well, the Holy Spirit's definitely involved in that somewhere. Fourthly, and this is a slightly more interesting one, perhaps one you may not have thought of, does the word fit in the flow of earlier prophecy? In Jeremiah chapter 28, there are a number of prophets speaking words, and some of them conflict. Jeremiah's word is that doom is coming, exile, and it's a a bad news message. And then there's Hananiah who says, no, it's going to be fine. God loves us, and it's going to be fine. And as Jeremiah grapples with Hananiah's word, what he actually says is, yeah, but you're wrong because for the last however long, the prophets have consistently said, we're going into exile. That's been the word of the Lord through his prophets for some time. And you're at odds with that. And for that reason, you're wrong. I remember somebody who came to lead a church on the edge of the city here, a little bit beyond the edge of the city, uh, who came and joined in our pastor's prayer gatherings and so on and said that he believed God had given him a Jeremiah ministry, uh, much like I just described. Jeremiah was given this task of prophesying judgment on God's people until it was fully enacted and there were just about none of them left. And this guy came to lead a church and said, I believe God's given me a Jeremiah ministry for my church. That I need to prophesy how bad they are until the church is gone. There's a number of reasons why I'd think that, that was suspect. Um, but one of them was that whenever we've gathered together and prayed, God, what do you want to do for your city? He's speaking about increase and growth and his life amongst his people. And this guy was just at odds with all of that. Because there have been times in church history when God has spoken consistently to the church of Christ about decrease in judgment. But this, is, this isn't a season that we're in. So we knew that he was, he was wrong, although unfortunately his ministry did have the fruit that he set out to have. Lastly, what is the prophet's motive? The most obvious thing here, we have had it occasionally in our youth groups where someone turns to someone else in a prophecy workshop and says, the Lord is telling you to go out with me. (laughs) It's a questionable motive. (laughs) Uh, Now, for those of you who are operating in prophetic gift, um, you need to submit to the process of weighing. And, actually, see, when you're just getting going in prophesying, you know, what you need is for someone to say to you, you know, if in doubt, give it out, it'll all be fine, all can prophesy, share whatever you've got, we'll be blessed, don't worry, it'll be fine. Because it just helps you get going. If you've been at the prophetic ministry a little while, you don't need that anymore. I mean, you need someone to come and say, well, the first bit was good. But actually, the second thing that you said was more about you than about the Spirit speaking to us, and did you understand that? There's a, there's a critical friend that you need to come alongside you and to help you to see what's going on in your ministry if you're going to grow further. So the weighing thing isn't just about weighing the word, it's also about those who are operating prophetically being shaped and mentored so that they can grow into all the fruitfulness that God has for them. Okay, I'm nearly done. The last thing here is this. This is not in 1 Corinthians 14, but in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 20, where it says, do not despise prophecy. Do not despise. It literally says Do not treat prophecy as if it's nothing. Don't don't dismiss it. Because prophecy really is God's word to us. And so once it's been weighed, our knee-jerk response, which is in case you weren't clear what this is a a picture of, our knee-jerk response should be to respond obediently. There's a danger that we settle into a critical attitude. Having begun to weigh it, we settle into a critical attitude which is actually cynical. But God speaks to us to shape what we do. As the leadership team of the church, we ask when we meet, what prophetic words have been shared amongst the church? And on Sundays, are there any of them that we really need to take on board because they weren't just for that morning but have an enduring effect for us. They're shaping where we go. We have to make sure that we respond to them. So the top item on our agenda when we meet is prayer and what's God said prophetically recently? We can't afford to miss out. And so we want to make sure that we're building on the word. And... Um, I believe that there is a little bit of repentance, which means changing our minds that needs to go on amongst us this morning. Um, At two levels. On the one hand, there will be people who've heard a word from God, but for whatever reason have put it on the shelf. And now... I'm not talking about someone who, like our family members, had a questionable word that they don't really know what it's all about. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people, you you know that you've heard from God, you know that God's spoken, but you've still put it on the shelf. In effect, taking God's word lightly. That's, That's one thing that I... I'm sure God wants to get at in us this morning and to reignite our confidence in responding to what he has said. There are others for whom actually, you've not got anything specific like that, but the whole area of God speaking to us today is something that you've held at arm's length and been cynical about. You may have thought, well, we just don't need that. You may have been doubting the whole reality of whether that's you know, isn't it just cold reading or you know, psychological stuff or something? And in doing that, as Simon's picture came to us earlier, you've built a fence along the river. And and you're not you're not in the flow of what God's doing. The living God amongst us is active. And you're standing to one side. And of course, that really won't do for God's people. (laughs) That's not what we got born again for. So let's just take a moment to be quiet. And um, in that quietness, I'd like to invite you, if there's something specific that God is bringing to mind, or actually you acknowledge a more general disdain for the prophetic. Let's deal with it together this morning and I'd invite you whilst we're quiet others will have their eyes closed it'll be fine. Just to stand and then I'll pray. Thank you God. Thank you as we sang earlier Lord that when you speak to us we come alive. And we thank you that your words to us through the spiritual gift of prophecy, don't ever diminish us. But do us good. I pray for these brothers and sisters who are responding to you. Father, I pray that as they've taken this little step forward towards you, that you would pour your Holy Spirit into them afresh. And I ask that faith would come and the power to do what you've spoken to them to do. I pray that that hard hearts would be softened. I I pray too for those who actually believe there are some that are still sat down, um, actually because their hearts are still hard. I pray for them too, Lord. I pray that hard hearts would be softened to make us sensitive to you. Lord, we can't do this stuff by ourselves, but only with your power at work in us. So thank you for sending your spirit and fulfilling us. Lord, we love you and we worship you, and we pray, and I pray for all of us that in the week to come, we would live alive to you, sensitive to your voice, and ready to respond, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um,
1: It's always great when, during a talk on prophecy, there's several people coming up and bringing prophetic words. Uh, it's even greater when, there's, uh, when Steve's talking about whether the words flow together and we get two almost identical words. Um, John, are you around? I wonder if you could share your word. And then T.A., you had a couple of
2: words. And then Lynn.
3: Okay, it's just a very quick one, and I think it's probably for an individual, or, you know, a couple of people. Um, I was just watching my daughter when she was um, worshipping earlier on, And she was, you know, shuffling around on her bottom, and she was waving one of the ribbons around. And, you know, she kind of just got a bit tangled up, really. You know, the ribbons got tangled around her ankles, and she was a bit, well, tied up. And just felt very simply that God was saying that, you know, you may have started something that you felt was from God. You'd heard him speak quite clearly. And, you know, it started well. You'd started with real enthusiasm. And it had just got a bit recently tangled up a bit messed up when you were thinking hang on what in is, what is going on here and just god wanted to come along and bring release and redemption from that tangle that you're in and just to bring a, a sort of a, a fresh release into what you're doing okay
1: i had the almost identical word um, my daughter came to church with three necklaces on this morning And as she took them off and played with them, they became in such a hideous, tangled mess that I'm quite used to sorting them out now. Um, And I really felt God say that somebody feels like their life is like that. It's a complete, tangled mess. Um, I particularly felt it was a girl, actually, because it was necklaces um, that God's going to come and sort it out. The second word I had, I had a picture of a cigarette. And I felt that there's somebody here this morning who smokes. And I felt God wanted to say this to you this morning from 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. I do actually feel that you've tried to stop smoking a few times and it's not worked. And I feel God is saying, now, now, is the time that I am with you to do this.
2: Um, I had a picture beginning a little while ago that was about um, a scripture that says, do not be like a mule that must be guided and prodded and whatever. Um, And as I was praying, I saw rather like a thoroughbred where it's just you it does have a bit but it sits very lightly in the mouth and god only you know the driver of it only has to touch it gently to get really responsive and i feel that you know we can be really hard hearted and god spoke to me about the things that weigh down on us and it fits very much with what steve was saying is cynicism and skepticism they're the things that harden our hearts they're the things that god has to really prod us to get rid of And it's like we are meant to be responsive to God. God made us to be sensitive to him. And it's like God would like to lift that cynicism and skepticism off of us and restore that. It's fine to ask questions, but to restore that with the kind of wonder that allows us to ask of God what he's doing and why, but is not cynical and skeptical. And if that's you, I believe God would want to do that for you.